I think the most suffocating thing of a full-time job is often we feel this guilt or limitation that we can't do other certain things because we're in this contractual agreement with my employer. Is this in conflict? Are they going to get upset if they see me doing things on the side? Will they fire me? When you enter into a more flexible working arrangement as a contractor or as a freelancer, a lot of that guilt goes away. You realize that your time is your time and you'll do with it whatever you want. Sometimes you're selling a significant amount of that to somebody else. Sometimes not. We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. With the events of 2020 behind us, more people than ever before are taking the leap to work for themselves. The upside is obvious, flexibility, security, and no limit on your potential earnings. But most people are also painfully aware of the challenges of getting started. What business should you start? Will anyone even want to hire you? And how can you find your first clients? To help you answer those questions, today on the podcast, I'm bringing you Jay Klaus. Jay is the creator of Freelancing School, and his specialty is helping people make that transition from creative stuck in a day job to freelancer, and then from freelancer to CEO. I thought Jay would be the perfect person to talk with us today about getting started with freelancing. So we're going to dive into all sorts of aspects of this, um, how to become a freelancer, who's a good fit for being a freelancer, how to find your first clients, how to make your first dollar, and whether or not you're ready right now to start freelancing. So Jay, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait to get into this with you. I'm stoked. Let's get into it. I Freelancing, making a living online, all things that I spend just all of my time talking about and thinking about. So happy to pass that on and hopefully somebody finds some inspiration from it. Yeah, absolutely. So could you start out by just telling us a little bit about your story and how you got started working for yourself? Yeah, I grew up in a farm town and my parents were high school teachers and I had a very limited view of what was possible for my career. I thought it was you go to school, you get a degree, you get a job with that degree, you work that job for like 35 years and you retire. And when I got to college, I had the good luck of sharing a common wall in my dorm with a couple of kids who started businesses in high school. And this just blew my mind. One of them had built websites, the other had done a landscaping company, but I was just like, what, how can I? And I would go and pitch app ideas to them because at the time iPhone apps were just like the thing to be making and doing. And one time they said, that's actually a pretty good, pretty good idea. You should go pitch that at this business plan competition. And I was like, what does pitch mean? What is a business plan? I don't know anything about this. But that got me involved in the entrepreneurship club at the university that I was going to. And from there, I was really hooked on startup culture. I was like, I want to be a tech bro. I want to build the next scalable social media site like Facebook and do that. And I kind of followed that path for a while. Started a, a digital ticketing platform right out of college. We went through an accelerator. We raised money. We sold that. And I was like, wow, that was an awesome learning experience. That is what I thought I wanted to do. And now I know it's not actually what I want to do. (laughs) It's really, really intense to do like a tech startup thing. 
So I went into a product management role at another startup because, again, my my viewpoint was still pretty narrow as to what entrepreneurship was. I thought it was like tech startups. But after a while of having a boss, you know, going from being a co-founder of a company to now having a boss, it's just a big culture shock. And I didn't love it. And all I knew was that I wanted to go back out on my own. And I didn't know really what that meant, but I thought I can figure that out. So I quit that job without a plan and started talking with some friends of mine and started freelancing effectively, even though I didn't realize that what I was doing was freelancing. But then that word started to enter my world and I understood, okay, I'm doing client services. I'm doing this to pay the bills because I thought it was going to be a stepping stone to maybe even the next job or at least the next thing. You know, this is what I'm going to do now to earn enough to figure out what I want to do with my life. And along the way, it just kind of stuck. And I started creating content. I started writing a lot. Then I started podcasting and I started integrating all these different parts of like a full digital creator tool stack into what I was doing, blogging, affiliate marketing, podcasting, um, courses. And um, the courses that I built were around freelancing because a lot of the clients that I ended up working with were service providers themselves. And it wasn't that they lacked talent or ability. It was that they had no idea how to like run a business effectively because my background was in product and it was in the operational business side of things. And to me, I looked at any creative service provider and said, you have a great product. Let's package that up. Let's learn how to market it. Let's learn how to sell it. And you can be really successful doing that. But a lot of creative people who were drawn to freelancing also are almost repelled by the idea of selling sales business. It feels antithetical to them. And I wanted to bridge the gap to teach them, look, you got into freelancing because you want more time, you want more money. But if you don't become a business owner, you're not going to have either, which I know is uh, a topic close to your heart here with the work less, earn more show. So totally get it. That was on the train. That was a train that I was on as well. And that's just been the journey. It sounds like a really incredible journey and like you have had multiple careers within it. <laughs> you were talking earlier, you know, this seems like a long journey for a lot of people. They want to make money online. They want to kind of go this direction. And it's really easy to look at your mentors. You're like mentors in the cloud, you know, the podcast you listen to, the people you follow on social media and understand how their business works and aspire to it. But what you don't understand immediately is how much time goes into every bit of that to build to where they are today. It just takes a long time. And the shortest path, in my opinion, to make money online is through services to sell some of your time, retain enough of your time that you can start building the more scalable digital business that you want, whether that is through content and sponsorships or advertising, whether that is through digital products In any case, it's going to take a long time to build up your expertise, build up your body of work, build up an audience, and then things really start to open up and they open up kind of quickly once they do. But it's a long slog to get to that point and selling services so that you make enough money to get by, but retain enough of your time to build that, I think is the shortest path. So you mentioned that the first real business venture that you went into was that tech startup that you took all the way up to the point when you sold it and that your kind of takeaway there was lots of good lessons learned, but turns out that wasn't actually what I wanted to do. And then later you went into freelancing, even though you didn't quite realize it was freelancing at first, but it sounds like you ended up enjoying the freelancing more and freelancing was more a 
aligned with your real goals or priorities because you went on to not only continue doing it for a while, but to teach other people to do it as well. So there must be something there that you thought, ah, this is it. So what was the difference for you between building the tech startup and freelancing? Why was freelancing better for you? No matter what you're spending your time on, you have to just be kind of obsessed with what you're trying to do. And with a tech startup, you can be obsessed with that problem and really enjoy the ride and building what you did. The company we did was in the ticketing industry of selling tickets to concerts and events and things, which I love concerts and events, but I wasn't obsessed with making that process more efficient. And there are a ton of low points in that journey that to endure, you have to really love what you're doing. And I just didn't. Um, When we got into the more freelancing, service providing, you know, client services stuff that I was doing, that was great because I got to have full control over who I worked with, the type of work I did, when I did it. And that control allowed me to make the choices to only do things that I wanted to do. And that's beautiful. And that's, you know, really the ethos of everything that I want to do. I want all of my time to be dedicated to things that I have chosen. This is the struggle that I want. And this is the struggle that I enjoy doing because otherwise, what what is the pursuit of money and anything for, you know, our most scarce resources are time. And I think the best pursuit of your life is to get the most out of that time for yourself, your loved ones. And building a business is really, in my opinion, the best way to do that, because you can eliminate a lot of the trade-offs that people have uh, when they take a job. You know, a lot of times um, a job is a means to an end. I think about the word work a lot. You know, it's in the title of this podcast, but there are like two cultural definitions of work one of them being like this means to an end so I can enjoy my life. The other one being like my life force. My work is what I care about so much. This is what I'm here to do. This is how I'm enjoying my time. And I want to help people get towards that second definition so they no longer think of work as a means to an end. But it's like what they've been put here to do. It's what they can't help but create. And freelancing and choosing who I work with, what I work on, when I work, what I work on outside of the client work, that was such a eye-opening experience for me. I couldn't agree with you more. I've done a couple podcasts myself about this topic of leaning into the work. And even though this podcast, you know, is called Work Less, Earn More, I've I felt that it was necessary to make a couple of podcasts saying, I'm not saying that I think we should work as little as possible because work is something to be avoided. Because I found myself falling into a trap occasionally where I I put work in this box when I was trying to minimize it. And I was said, you know, I want to work as little as possible. How can I get as much done in as little time so that I can get out of the office as quickly as possible? And it ended up leading me to hate work. And I didn't want that to happen because I do the work that I do for a reason. And I care about the work that I do. And I I truly believe just what you were just saying, that we were created to work and that that is really the human experience is work and, you know, doing different activities for different ends, if you will, and doing them well. And so finding our enjoyment there or enjoyment of life there, I think is an amazing gift. So that's... Yeah, I just really agree with you on that. As I say, or at least express ourselves, right? Like, I, th- I think, you know, the happiest people that you and I probably know are those who just get to spend their time on whatever they want to spend their time on and expressing themselves in a way that is enjoyable for them. And I think that's, you know, what it really means to create work that you care about. 
Yeah, absolutely. And perhaps I should nuance what I said by just adding that I don't mean that we should spend all our time in the office either. And I mean, everything that we do that is meaningful, I see as work, you know, whether that's preparing a meal for my family, or teaching my children or uh, cleaning my house, or sitting here in front of my computer and doing the thing that I call work. All of these different things are different types of work. They're different activities that I'm doing that require a little bit of effort, but it's because it's creating some sort of result that I want, as opposed to the thing that I would say maybe isn't work would be like laying on the couch and just reading a book or watching Netflix. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but I don't find a lot of meaning in them personally. For sure. For sure. So let's move on and get more into the the nitty gritty of the freelancing discussion and maybe talk about how people can get started freelancing if they see this as a good opportunity to get more involved in that work and be a little bit more hands on with it, enjoy the process and also start earning some money sooner in their business. Because as I alluded to at the beginning of this episode, a lot of people end up getting discouraged as building their business takes so long. They're waiting so long for their audience to start growing and they think they can't make any money until they have a big audience. I know I was definitely struggling with that myself. Um, Or they think that their company has to get to a certain size in terms of a number of employees or a structure um, before they will be able to really earn significant money. So let's say someone wants to start earning some money sooner. How could they do that with freelancing? I would encourage anybody listening to this to expand the way you think about employment and um, uh, compensation. Because if you have a full-time job right now, you're on W-2, the only difference between a full-time job versus full-time freelancing is that that company is probably promising you some extra benefits, which might be retirement, uh, might be uh, healthcare. But those are things that you can also contribute to and build for yourself if you were just doing full-time contract work. So if you're thinking about this leap to freelancing as this big departure from what you're doing now, it's really not. Like right now you have essentially a client who is paying for full-time 40-hour week exclusive rights to your creative work time. With that lens, it's a lot easier to think about, well, freelancing is just doing maybe exactly the type of work I'm doing now, but without granting essentially an exclusive license to my time to one employer. And maybe the immediate trade-off is, okay, I won't have the 401k. I won't have the same healthcare benefits. Again, those are benefits that you can still create for yourself and invest in your retirement. In fact, you should. Uh, You should have healthcare. Um, But you can really just think about this leap as, how do I start doing this independently so that I have more control over my time? Because I think the most suffocating thing of a full-time job is often we feel this guilt or limitation that we can't do other certain things because we're in this contractual agreement with my employer. Is this in conflict? Are they going to get upset if they see me doing things on the side? Will they fire me? When you enter into a more flexible work arrangement as a contractor or as a freelancer, a lot of that guilt goes away. You realize that your time is your time. and You'll do with it whatever you want. Sometimes you're selling a significant amount of that to somebody else. Sometimes not. So take an inventory of what you're being paid to do right now by your employer or anybody else, and not just the job description, but the actual skills within that job that you're doing every day that other people may find valuable. It's hard to separate yourself from the things that you 
already innately know how to do and understand that other people don't have those skills and find them really valuable. But it's really true. The world is really big. Uh, the most happy, successful freelancers I know don't work with that many clients every year. You just need to find a handful of people who would prefer to throw cash, which they probably have more of than you would expect, at a problem and your solution to the problem than to spend their more precious resource time learning how to do it or applying the skill themselves. There's a ton of people out there who would much rather you solve their problem for them and they'll throw money at it so that they can retain their time to either do what they do best or do what they would prefer to do. So really take an inventory of your skills, the things that you're really good at, the things that people ask you if you could help them with. Uh, so you can start to package that and frame yourself as somebody who can provide that skill, that solution, that service for somebody else. That's a really cool mindset shift to instead of thinking about, you know, making this huge leap from working from for someone else to working for yourself and just feel like those things are worlds apart. And how will you ever bridge that gap? And yeah, just the way you described it is, I think, an eye opener for a lot of people. What do you think about people who are maybe on the other side of the fence where instead of their mindset problem, if you will, being right now I work this day job and I don't know how to, you know, to make that leap to becoming a freelancer. That seems super scary. But instead, they see exactly what you were just describing, that freelancing isn't that different from working for a boss. And they think freelancing, I'm just going to have three bosses. I'm just going to have 10 bosses. It's not going to be that different. And so why? I don't, that's not what I want. I want to be my own boss. I want to run my own company. I think there's still something for them there with freelancing. Do you have any words of advice for them? I think freelancing is inherently part-time, uh, or I should say impermanent. Uh, typically, I see th three different paths when someone begins freelancing. They either build into an agency, which is, uh, you know, still providing services, but building a business larger than themselves. And they can actually eventually maybe hire themselves out of day to day work there. Um, they may just be doing that until they find another full time job because they do realize, oh, in some regards, I do have more bosses. Uh, this isn't exactly what I want. Maybe I'll just take on one freelance client, a.k.a. take a job. Or they build towards uh, more of a scalable online business like you and I have done, Gillian. Um, and that takes a lot of time. And I think that freelancing is a great in-between place for any of those futures. And it's all totally fine. But if you're, if you're wondering, you know, am I going to have too many bosses? You need to think about, well, what, what value do you place on control, your ability to lead projects, your ability to set expectations? Because the most happy, sustainable, successful freelancers that I know, they have really taken control and take the lead on their client projects. And they are more or less the boss to their clients. Yes, ultimately, they're paying you, you have to answer to them, you have to give them something they're happy with. But the happiest freelancers who are earning a lot are regarded by their clients as the expert, and they want to be led by that person. And so you step forward, and you say, this is the way it's going to be, this is the way the process should work. This is why we're doing it this way. And if you take that leadership stance, the client often is thankful and relaxes and says, okay, they've got this. I don't actually have to do too much oversight and let you run with it. So it doesn't feel like you have 10 bosses. It feels like you have 10 projects that you're managing a lot of times and uh, different ways to flex your creativity in that way. But in my experience, if it feels like you have 10 bosses, you're probably competing on the lower end of the pricing spectrum and working with more 
highly demanding clients. There, there's an irony here that there's a meme uh, going around Twitter and Instagram fairly recently where it's like $500 client. Please send me updates every day and prove your value to me and get on a Zoom call tomorrow. And then there was like $50,000 client. All right, great. Invoice paid. You know, like people um, at the higher end of the pricing spectrum are hiring you because they recognize the value you bring and they often are way more hands off and just want you to do your thing. But, you know, freelancing isn't for anybody and that's okay. Yeah. So I think that that's a great point. And I know that personally, you know, I work with a fair number of freelancers, people I hire to do things in my business. And I definitely prefer the f- freelancers who are more, I'll say, bossy, who are more managing the projects, more telling me what to do and telling me what I need to do and what they're going to do and are leading the project. And I can definitely see how that would be more enjoyable for them as well. Um, but whenever I'm looking to hire someone, I almost always tell my project manager, I tell her, you know, I want to hire someone who's bossy, who's going to lead this. I don't want them to be constantly asking me questions about what I want. I want someone who knows how to do this. So I can see it from, you know, from both perspectives here, how true that is. So at the end there, you mentioned, um, you know, not everyone should be a freelancer. Do you have any thoughts on who should be a freelancer versus maybe who shouldn't? Being a freelancer, being a business owner, it's just hard. Like if you're if you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I want to do this, then maybe you shouldn't. And I know that's like kind of a, a tough love, harsh stance to take. If you have the question of, I don't know if I'm good enough, that's a different question. You may still have the right level of ambition and drive to get past the I don't know if I'm good enough, because the chances are you are. And in fact, your question of that is showing some level of self-awareness that is also indicative that you are good enough. Um, but if people are like, I don't know if I want to do that then maybe you shouldn't because it is really challenging. And what you need is a lot of resilience and drive. And if you're already feeling intrinsically unmotivated, nobody can motivate you to do that thing. Um, part of the the business that I ran before I was doing a lot of this, um, uh, you know, content business that I'm doing now, it was working with freelancers themselves in this small mastermind type of format. And I would have some people hire me because they lacked intrinsic motivation and they thought that I would just push them to do the things that they needed to do. And there's a point where nobody can make you want to run your own business. You know, you have to want to take that challenge on every day because it is challenging. They're going to be hard days. And the only thing that gets you through is really wanting to do it. Um, if, if that's not you, that's totally fine. But you know, I also think sometimes if you know that, you know, I mentioned there are three paths out of freelancing often, and one of them is building the more scalable content, digital products type business. When I was purely freelancing as the means of funding that part of my future life, there are times where I would question, is this actually the most efficient path? Because sometimes, especially in the beginning, you end up working a lot of hours for your clients to make the kind of money that you want or need to survive. Whereas if you take kind of a cushy, well-paying job, usually that's bounded to 40 hours a week. You can really know when work is off uh, and you can reserve a lot of your mornings, nights, weekends to build the more scalable digital business. And that's also valid. You know, I think I think a lot of people wear the self-employment badge as a badge of honor and it doesn't have to be that way. Like if you know where you're trying to head, you should probably just find the most efficient path to get there that you can. And that might be 
working full time so you can reserve more of your energy and frankly, peace of mind to build things in the way that you want without putting any financial pressure on what you're doing. So it sounds like it probably depends a lot on the job that you have right now and whether it how much of your energy it's taking, really. Is yeah. it taking less of your energy because it's taking up a set amount of time, which is I can definitely see how that could be true. Or is it taking more of your energy because it's just such draining work? Yeah. And a lot of times the jobs that we take, we, we feel more separated from it and we're able to protect more of our creative energy for ourselves, even if we have to wake up earlier in the day to kind of have the time to work on it. When you're freelancing as the, the economic engine to help you build your digital products business, you constantly have this refrigerator hum anxiety of, am I doing enough to be seen as somebody good in this field? Uh, should I be doing something else? Should I be finding another client project right now? Like there's always this little bit of questioning and energy that's being sucked towards, am I giving the business what it needs right now? Do I really have the time to be building the second you know, part or half or future for my business. Um, but there are also some incredibly demanding full-time jobs that don't give you any of that, uh, that time energy or peace of mind to build the, the digital products business that you might aspire to. So you could work a traditional day job or you could do freelancing to pay the bills for now so that eventually you can build the scalable business. And it sounds like you really just need to decide which of these two things will support my long term goals better and perhaps also give me the best quality of life today and find that balance. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's tons of nuance outside of that. For example, if you're trying to build digital products or an audience around a certain area of expertise, you going through the journey of getting there might be prerequisite to having credibility to do that. Uh, but if you're working at a job that gives you a lot of experience and insight and people can draw that through line as to why you're now teaching that or explaining that or building digital products around that, then that's fine. But you, you should try to think a little bit more long-term than I just don't want to have a boss right now uh, as soon as you can, because uh, freelancing, as you've said, it's, it's not that inherently different than being employed. You need to have a good reason for wanting to do it. Uh, and that reason might be control. It might be control over who you're working with, when you're working, how you're working, and that's valid, but you should know what that reason is and be working for the long term. The episode you're currently listening to was originally offered as a live stream inside startup society, our training program for digital entrepreneurs. Each week in the program, Gillian teaches a live workshop for startup members, including a teaching segment, like what you're listening to right now, a tutorial segment that demonstrates how to take action on the lesson, and an open Q&A period where Gillian and guest experts work directly with each member. Members also get access to Startup Society's library of business training courses, monthly co-working sessions and other events, and our private community forum. If you're looking for affordable business training, mentorship, and accountability, then visit startupsociety.com forward slash podcast to learn more about the program and apply to join. Now here's Gillian with the rest of today's episode. So let's go back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago. You were talking about that $500 client versus that $50,000 client. And of course, everyone immediately realizes, you know, the $50,000 client is probably going to be better to work for. And also $50,000 is nicer than $500. But what about 
all the people who I, I think it's probably actually all the people who feel like they're not worth to a client $50,000. Their skills aren't worth $50,000 or insert whatever other high number you know in your industry. What can they do? What should they do? Is it, on the one hand, maybe all about marketing? You just need to get better at selling yourself or do they need to go back and like invest a lot more time into developing their skills? What would your advice be there if they do want to get started freelancing as soon as possible? There is a theoretical threshold of how good you need to be to charge some amount of money. Um, I can't quantify that for every client you work with. And chances are you're beyond it, to be honest. You know, the reason that they're looking to outsource or hire somebody is because they have no skill in this department or no time in this department, which means that you coming in to solve that problem is inherently valuable. I would also frame this as oftentimes when we think about pricing and we're about to hit send on the proposal where we filled in the price for this project, we ask ourselves, would I pay this amount of money for this project? And of course the answer is no, because you know how to do it. And you have to remember that the client does not. They don't have the time. They don't have the skills. It's much more valuable for them to just make the problem go away with cash than to spend the time to learn how to do it and spend the time to implement. And, you know, it just doesn't make sense for them. So the easiest way for you to validate that you are worth whatever price that you aspire to be worth is to ask for that amount of money and see if they pay it. Now, there's some nuance to this, too, because you have to be confident or appear confident that this is your value because price is a story and people will justify spending whatever they want to spend for whatever that thing is. I can have a $1 drip coffee from McDonald's, or I can have like a $4 drip coffee from Starbucks. How inherently different is that? Not really, but how often do I convince myself that it's worth the price difference to go with Starbucks because I like it better all the time? Same thing happens for freelancers. You know, people will justify the cost and not squabble over hundreds of dollars, maybe even thousands of dollars if they want to work with you. And this is the the constraint that you should embrace as a freelancer. In some ways, you may think services don't scale. How can I uh, make as much money as I want because I am one person? I can only do so much. If you flip that on its head, you realize you are one person. You can only do so much. There are only so many people that you can work with this year. And it's a privilege for clients to have the ability to work with you if you do really great work. So that becomes your benefit. If you look at like an economic supply and demand curve, the supply is really low. And if you increase the demand, your pricing can go up. That's great news. But you have to go out there and say, this is what I'm worth. This is what I want and take feedback from the market. Um, it is easier to sell higher price projects to people who have more money. It's just the truth. The same is true for digital products that you may want to create someday too. The customers who have more money are going to help you earn more money faster because the average value of the service or of the sale is just higher. So think about that in the beginning. Think about the types of clients you want to work with. And it's a bummer because a lot of times people want to work with startups. They want to work with nonprofits. They want to work for organizations that are doing good and they often have smaller budgets. And there's just no way you're going to charge $50,000 for that project where the same work might provide $50,000 worth of value for a larger organization that you don't align with as well. These are choices you have to make. And there are real thresholds of what is feasible for certain clients. You have to be within what is feasible for them. 
but the limit is usually higher than you expect. So what really works for going out there and closing those clients, those first few clients, especially? I think it's like getting the first few guests on your podcast, right? You know, this thing doesn't exist. The people who you, who are working with you probably can recognize where's your portfolio? Where's your past work? It's going to be harder in the beginning for the first few clients. Anybody who hires you, anybody who buys from you has to know, like, and trust you. And there are people in your life who already know, like, and trust you. So start with them. Start with people around you who um, may have problems that you can solve and start to build a little bit of a portfolio. You know, I told you in my story when I started freelancing without knowing that it's freelancing, what happened was I was catching up with my friends to let them know that I was going out on my own and that um, I was just going to try to make it work. And in hearing their stories and what they were working on, they would inevitably talk about their challenges, the things that they're working on. And I could say, oh, well, I can help you with that. Here's what that would look like. And now, because I went in front of them, helped them identify a problem and proposed a solution, they say, great, problem, solution, let's do that. They're not going to say, hold on, now that you've helped me identify this problem and you say that you can solve it, let me spend a week price shopping and going out to the market and see who else can do that. Sorry, friend, let me go and do that. No, they actually just want to have the problem solved. So I often tell freelancers of any stage, you know, stop thinking about finding clients, start thinking about creating clients, start thinking about having conversations with people who already know, like, and trust you to some degree, even if it's someone that you've met a couple of times who runs a meetup group locally or something, it's going to be a lot easier to find projects to work on with them than starting the process all over with somebody who doesn't know you at all, because you're going to have to get the, that relationship to the same point that you already have relationships with people around you all the time. So go to people in your life, friends, family, peers, coworkers. I call these people your advocates, people who are already actively advocating for you as a person, as a business owner. They're going to advocate to other people. That's where referrals come from. Or they'll advocate to themselves that they should hire you. And just takes some confidence and saying, I hear your problem. I know the solution. I'm confident that the solution will be good and solve your problem. Here's what it would take to do that. So it sounds like pitching really can be quite simple when you're first starting out, if you let it be simple. But I know some people might be thinking right now, like, okay, that sounds easy, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to go and start pitching. I'm not sure if I'm ready for my first client. How can someone tell if they're ready? And maybe what are some things that people should do before they start working with their first client? I, I would reframe even the idea of pitching. You know, a lot of the activity of creating clients just comes from conversation. You don't have to pitch when the person across the table from you volunteers the problem that they're facing and you just say, do you want help solving that? And you're not going to be skilled and adept at every problem that you come across. But oftentimes, you know, someone who is and you can say, actually, I know someone who great who could help you with that. You refer them to that person. and You're starting to build this network of people who appreciate you and are also going to look out for you and your interests. Um, I do think that before you start doing this, you should have a pretty strong idea of the type of work you want to do and the type of person you want to do that work with. Because inevitably, more begets more. <laughs> and if you have bad clients, it's going to beget more bad clients. Bad is subjective, could mean overbearing, low price, uh, hard to work with. Whoever you work with is going to become a node in a network of people that is being referred to you. And chances are, if they are someone that you had an unpleasant time working with, their friends are also going to be fairly unpleasant. But if you work with somebody great, 
The opposite is true too. So you should have a pretty clear sense of what type of person you want to work with and filter for that and try to work with that type of person as quickly as possible, because then you're building your portfolio and your past work dictates your future work. People are using that as a signal of who hires this person. What type of person hires this person? What type of organization, what type of brand hires this person? And they're looking at that list aspirationally in a way they're saying, do I identify with this brand? Is this a brand that I aspire to? Are they on my level? Because if not, I'm not going to hire this person. If they're working with brands above my level, I am more excited to hire this person because I feel like, wow, I'm getting a deal. I'm getting an opportunity. I'm getting insight into how some of the bigger brands even think about things. So, you know, start with your advocates, try to go high, shoot high for the type of person you want to work with and just take it one day at a time build relationships, reconnect with people, socialize the type of work that you're doing and who you're trying to work with. So you start to make your product, your advocates more productive and uh, advocating on your behalf. And it's really just a day at a time. So if someone right now who is listening is thinking, you know, I really am pretty interested in this freelance thing. I think I want to give this a try. What would your, what would the first steps be that you would recommend that they take and maybe some advice you have for them? Well, we, we just touched on the first one, which is like, decide what you're doing, who you're doing it for. Because unfortunately we like to put people in boxes, but we're lazy. So if you give us a box, we'll take the box you gave us and we'll start using that on your behalf. So I like the framework. I help X do Y. I help this type of person do this type of thing, or I help this type of person get this type of outcome. And it should be specific, specific terms. You know, that's why somebody saying I'm a copywriter is less compelling than someone saying I help small businesses sell more products, you know? People say, well, how do you do that? I'm a small business. I want to sell more products. That's something I aspire to and something I identify with. And those are specific terms that when you say I help small businesses sell more products, your aunt can remember that. She'll talk to somebody who says, oh, I run a small business. And let's say, you've got to talk to my nephew. Or I just, I'm trying to sell more of this. Well, you got to talk to my nephew. He does that. They might not understand what copywriting is or how you get that result, but they know what you do, who you're trying to work with. And there'll be a set of eyes and ears is what I call it out there in the world advocating for you. So once you kind of figure out this, I call it your elevator speech, your I help X do Y, that should become the headline of your website. It should be on your your bios, if your social media, when you meet people, when you have conversations, you should work it into conversation. So you start socializing this specific box that you want to be put in that can be a signal to your clients. Go to your advocates first. That's who you should be socializing this with the people who already know, like, and trust you. And then all along the way, this is step three. I would think, how can I be the most efficient with turning these success stories into something public that makes me look bigger than I am? You know, you may have three clients all time, but if you can take those three client stories and wrap them into three case studies on your website that look really good and show good results, you're going to be on par with just about every freelancer out there because people don't typically do more than three case studies and put them on their website, even if they've worked with 80 people. So people are going to be looking at your website. They're going to think you are incredibly accomplished and it's just going to get easier and easier all the time. I'll tell people all the time, it's not going to get harder than this. Like it gets easier. The more you work with people, the more people that you meet, um, your challenges may be different, 
And so maybe they get higher, harder, you know, if you want to go the agency route to build a team and to afford a team is a pretty big increase in costs, especially if you're trying to hire them full time. But, uh, it's not going to get harder to sell projects in my opinion. So think about how do I sell this one? How do I parlay that into another one? How do I make this client have such a great experience? They can't help but rave about it and they can't help but show my work on their behalf. So people say, Hey, who did that for you? Um, and just ride the wave, just ride it infinitely. <laughs> great advice, Jay. Thank you so much for everything that you have shared today. This has been fantastic. If listeners want to learn more about you and about freelancing school, where can they go to do that? I'm on social media at Jay Klaus on everything. You can go to freelancing.school slash work less one word. I set up a 20% off promo code there for your listeners here, but there's also a free course there for how to sell more projects and make more money as a freelancer. That's the easiest way. Well, thank you so much. We'll be sure to include the links to those things that you mentioned in the show notes. And thank you for the offer for the listeners. Uh, be sure to check that out, everyone who's listening right now, because I mean, I can tell from everything that I've seen that you've put out just what high quality the work that you do is and how thoughtfully, how thoughtful you are about the education that you provide, how intentional you are. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Gillian. All right. Well, that is everything for today. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. If you found this episode helpful and you would like to participate live in future recording sessions, then be sure to visit startupsociety.com slash podcast to learn more about all the benefits of membership and apply to join. And finally, it would be a big help if you left work less, earn more, a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only will this help us reach more people, but it's also going to give you the chance to potentially win a 12-month membership to Startup Society. All you need to do to enter is post your review on Apple Podcasts, then email a screenshot to contact at gillianperkins.com. Thanks again so much for listening. Now let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins, and until next week, stay focused and take action.